Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. And those who are joining us digitally online, we are so glad uh, that you are here. You know, last week we began a series of messages entitled Frame. And last week, here's the, fruit, the, the truth of God's Word that we framed up. And that is this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we answered the question of why. Why did God do such a thing? And we answered for His glory. Now, I'm going to tell you, I was pretty humbled this past week on Monday. I walked into our offices. Our office building's just right down the road, just a couple of blocks. And I walked in, and I walked by Pastor David. I walked by his office, and his door was closed, and I heard some weird sounds. And so I opened his door, and he was so inspired by last week's message that he was trying to create himself with animal bullets. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Just really didn't figure that such inspiration would come from a message like that. And y'all don't know how talented he is, so I invited him this morning from Monday. I said, David, why don't you come, and, and I want you guys to see the wonder that is our pastor of uh, college young adults and missions. And so, with that being said, you ought to see what this guy can create. You ready? Hey, David, show us real quick. Man, one of his best creations, animal balloon-wise, is a snake. Why don't you go ahead and show people what a snake looks like? You ready? Watch this. Here. Oh, okay. All right, well, hey, listen. It, this is live TV. This is how uh, it happens. But, but we see a... Let, let, hey, give it up for David. I mean, the talent that we have at our staff. Hey, watch this. You think that's good. Hey, you ready, David? Let, let's do a number one. Watch this. A number one. Hey, listen. That don't even touch it. Hey, David, let, let's do a lowercase l. You ready? There we go. Yes. Isn't, isn't that good? Hey, but no, seriously, watch this. He can, he can make a dog on command. Can you do that real quick? I mean, just show him. We were in Brazil one time, and uh, we started making these in the middle of Flavela, and hundreds of kids came flocking just to get a balloon animal. And look, look at that. And just like that, Monday morning, I was watching him as he created dogs and, and snakes and the number one and the letter L, lowercase, and all that good stuff. Here's my favorite from last week's message. He made this for me. It's a bronchosaurus, right? It's, it's a dinosaur because that was the biggest thing. But let's give it up for, for Brother David and his creations. Just, just stay there, buddy. Okay, I love it. I love, and I don't know what your favorite balloon animal creation is. Mine is definitely the dinosaur. I love that. But today from the text... We're going to ask of the text, and we're going to ask of God, what was his favorite creation? In all six days of creation, what was God's most favorite of all of it? If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1 today as we continue in a series of messages this morning entitled Frame. A study grounded in the Garden of Eden in the first few chapters of Genesis because it is there where many truths and doctrines of our faith are established and they are framed by God. Well, we talked about what it means to frame something last week. We understand that when we frame something, we do so because that which is enclosed in the frame is worth displaying. Hey, it's of great value to us, and so we frame it up for the world to see. I'm going to tell you something else that's worth framing today, and that is the truths 
and the doctrines of the very Word of God. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the frame today, Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to frame up this truth. You ready? In verse 26, you and I, we are image bearers of God. I want us to wrap our hearts and our minds today around this truth, that you and I, that humanity, we are image bearers of God. And listen to what the Bible says here in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And the Bible says this, that God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, mind you, we're on day number six of creation, the last day itself of creation before God Sabbath, before God rests. And he says, let us make man in our image. So in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Now, I want you to notice something in the text. If you've ever read Genesis chapter 1 before, we see a break in the rhythm that God has been using. Uh, Throughout the whole first chapter of Genesis, it's been, and God said, and let there be. 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 Yet here in verse 26, and God said, let us make. There's an important distinction and a difference here that we ought to note because what God's fixing to do with man is different than all the rest of his creation. I'm fixing to kill this dinosaur, aren't I? It's just going to happen. At some point, you're going to hear a loud banger and security team's going to run in. So just know the dinosaur's going to go. Um, here's the deal. There's something that happens on day number six that's different, that's distinct. And God does that. On purpose, And we ask the question of how. How is it that God did it? Well, the Bible teaches us in Genesis 2-7 exactly how God created man. It says, In the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the, li- the breath of life. And the Bible says that the man became a living being. Hey, can I just stop there real quick? Uh, oftentimes I'll hear people say, Well, God's never done anything for me. The very breath. In your lungs is a gift from God. The very breath we breathe is a gift of God. And God breathed the breath of life, and they became a living being. But, you know, I walk away from texts like verse 26 in chapter 2, and I ask the question, why did God create us? Why did God create you? Why did God create me? And you know what oftentimes I'll hear people answer that question with? I mean, simply put, God was lonely, and God needed us. God was lonely, and he needed us to fill a void in his life. Now, here's what I want you to take note of. Look back at verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to watch this word. Are you ready? The Bible says, let us. And we go, wait a second. Something's a little bit off here. Were there people who were with God before God created everything. Who is this us? Was it Betty White? I know she's kind of, was she there? Was it Bernie Sanders? Was he the one there? And real quick props to Zach for making that picture. I was holding my son at that point, but he put Bernie in that picture. You're fired. Uh, anyway, um, that means who, who is there with God? Who is this us? And now we find one of the most exciting teachings of our faith. Was God lonely? 
No, because God wasn't alone. And hear me, church, and he didn't create us to fill a void in his life because, hear me, God lacks nothing. God has no void. But here's what we know to be true. That before creation, the triune God, or oftentimes referred to as the Trinity, simply was. In fact, he is and he will forever be. And we see that here in verse 26 that the word us is a reference to the triune God. You ready, church? As believers, as Christians, we believe in one God. Now, I want to throw this out there to you. You ready? There are religions that falsely claim that Christianity believes in three gods. In fact, one such religion is Islam. They believe we're polytheists. We believe in more than one God. And that is why there's so much hatred and persecution towards us by Islamic extremists. In fact, if I could just kind of explain it this way, this may help. You ready? In this conversation of a triune God, here's what Islam sings. You ready? God the Father plus God the Son plus God the Holy Spirit equals three separate gods. It's just a simple mathematical equation for them. But they're missing the teaching of the Word of God, the truth and the doctrine of the triune God. Because here's what Christianity teaches. You ready? Here's what the Bible teaches. That you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which equals one God. You see, it's a mathematical distinction on the complexity of who the triune God is. But hear me, there is no teaching in the Word of God that levels our faith is believing in three gods. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and it equals one God that we serve and one God that we follow. Now, as we play this out, we proclaim as a church as Deuteronomy 6.4 does, you ready? That the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We are monotheists. We believe in one God. God is one essence that eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I've heard this illustration used before. What I have right here is just a glass of ice. We know this scientifically that there are three states of water. There's the liquid which is pulling down at the bottom of this glass. There's the solid state of water which is the ice. And then there's the gas version of water, which is vapor. In fact, we're breathing vapor in right now. What we have here is one essence. We have water that is in three distinct states. And it's a unique picture some use to talk of the Holy Spirit. But here's the problem with the ice and liquid water and vapor illustration, just like with any other illustration when it comes to our triune God, is that this illustration and every other really falls short of how big and how complex our God is. Sometimes our minds just can't comprehend all that He is. And you know what? God's pretty comfortable with that. And God's okay with that. And yet we see here in the creation account, more than really any other place in all of Scripture, we see a triune God. We see the Trinity in plain sight. 
Well, you say, well, where's Jesus at creation? Remember what I quoted you last week out of the Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This passage points to Jesus, of course, in a time where he was not clothed in flesh. He was pre-incarnate, and he was without flesh. Why? Because creation happened before Christmas. Just so you know, creation happened before Christmas. But Jesus was there. We also see the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, hovering over the face of the earth. And of course, God the Father is present as He is speaking all things into existence. So what's the point, Anthony? God wasn't alone. And that's not the reason why He created us. In fact, God existed in the perfect community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there they existed in a perfect love. And so why did He create us? Why did He create you? You see, He created us out of an overflow of that love. To enjoy such a relationship, such a love with Him forever. Hey, by the way, that's why your soul and mine is eternal. That's why our souls live on forever. And that's why God says this in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. Hey, church, hear me. Every one of us today are image bearers of God. We are not equal with all creation. Rather, rather we are unique in all of creation. No other bird of the air, fish of the sea, beast of the field, bears the image of God. And we know that to be true. None of all other creation bear the image of God. That's for us alone. Now, let's take care of some monkey business, okay? Here on the front end. You know, the truth is, is that one of the questions you might have is, is my granddad really a monkey? Did I really, is that really where we come from? It's not what the Bible teaches, but it's what I've heard. Somewhere down the line, I, I, I'm, I'm a relative of a monkey somewhere. I did some research in the National Genome Institute. And what's amazing is, is that just in this room, you and I share 99.9% genetic similarity. The person next to you, you share 99.9% that your genes are similar to one another. Now, next in line to that are not monkeys, but are baboons and apes from long time ago. We share a genetic similarity between apes and baboons of a long time ago. You go, wait a second. Grandma was a monkey, right? No, listen, calm down. That's not what I'm saying at all. Hey, do you know that you and I share a 90% genetic similarity with cats? That's probably evolutionist way of saying the reason why there's evil in the world. Anyways, I'm kidding cat lovers. I love cats. I'm just playing around with you. All right. Do you know this, that you and I share 60% genetic similarity with a banana? That's why you're so darn appealing. Anyway, that's a terrible joke, I know. Uh, let me, here's my favorite. We share 80% genetic similarity with a cow. Now, before you call your mother-in-law and heifer, here's what I want you to see, okay? Number one, I want you to choose life. Number two, I want you to ask this question. Why is it inconceivable that God would use common building blocks of life throughout his creation. 
Why is this such a far-fetched thought? Scientific theories like evolution that was made popular um, by folks like Charles Darwin and his Origins of Species in 1859. Scientific theories like evolution asserts that such, they assert that such similarities in genetics make baboon and apes our common ancestors five to eight million years ago. But hear me, church. The Bible asserts that such similarities remind us that we come from one common design, one common creator, and that is God. Evolution makes our existence out to be nothing but, but chance of both time and mutation, natural selection, and survival of the fittest, whereas the Bible teaches us that we are image bearers of God, fearfully and wonderfully made by Him and loved by our Creator. And hear me, that is where humanity gets its value and its dignity. I've heard it said this way, that man is allied to heaven more than any other creature. That you and I are allied to heaven more than any other creature because we are made in the very image of God. Now I want to say something strong and bold, but here's what I believe. You cannot reconcile the teaching of evolution. You cannot reconcile the teaching of evolution with the revelation of God in Genesis 1:26. There's just no way, way to do it, believer. You can't bring the two together. Both cannot exist in the same place. And let me remind you, this is not a matter of intelligence, but of faith. Scientific theory, we've got to remember. In a part, attempt to dethrone God as creator, to deny the authority and the accuracy of God, and to devalue life. And yet we find ourselves in a place where all people everywhere are believers. It's just a matter of where we put our faith. Here's what the Bible does. You ready? As opposed to scientific theories like evolution, the Bible recognizes that God is on his throne and cannot be dethroned. The Bible itself is accurate in its authoritative. It reaffirms that. And by the way, the Bible brings value to all life. Either God created man on the sixth day or some Cambrian explosion took place 500 million years ago. And here we sit today. By faith, where do you stand? I believe the Bible. Man was created by God. And bear his image. And if that is truth, then there's got to be something to bear in the image of God. And what does that mean for you and for me? To be the imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God. But what is it for you and I to be bearers of the image of God? To be the imago Dei. Of God, well, first of all, bearing his image means sharing in his attributes. You ready? We share in God's goodness, his love, his mercy, his justice, his compassion, and without help of the Holy Spirit, we bear his holiness. We share in it. Attributes that he, want us, he wants us to go public with to the world for his glory. We ought to remind the people around us of our Father in heaven. Why? Because we bear his image. No bird of the air. No fish of the sea, no beast of the ground can display these attributes. 
And certainly not cats. Maybe dogs. Certainly not cats. And even dogs fall short. Bearing His image also means that we have a unique relationship to share with God. Unlike animals, we were made for a relationship with God. God seeks us, and we seek after God. Unlike the rest of creation, God created us with an eternal soul that can only be satisfied by Him. That can only be satisfied by Him. And you ask this, well, if that is what it means to bear the image of God, what are the implications? What difference does that make? You ready? The fact that we are the image of God, that we are the Imago Dei of God, is the very reason why we stand for life. Very reason why we are so passionate about life in our communities. It's why we staunchly stand against abortion because we know it to be the destruction of the image of God bearer. It's the murder of God's image. Imago Dei gives life at every stage dignity and value. We stand for life in a culture that places a higher value on turtle eggs than it does a child in its mother's womb. The implications of the Imago Dei is that we are for life. The Imago Dei is also why we detest social ills such as racism. Because all people everywhere bear the image of God. To hate a person because of the color of their skin is to hate the very one who colored their skin. Is to hate the image of God they bear. Implications of the Imago Dei is that we hate, that we stand against, we despise racism in every form that it's found. I'm reminded of the Dred Scott case. Back in the 1800s, Dred Scott, a black man, was suing to become a free man. And in a Supreme Court decision that was 7-2, to the Chief Justice and those who went with him denied that African slaves were citizens of the United States as far as the Constitution was concerned. And therefore, they had no equal rights. They had no civil rights. And Dred Scott lost the court case. But in the passionate dissent, two justices, one by the name of John McLean, not John McLean uh, from Yakutomi Tower. Listen, John McLean, the Supreme Court justice at the time. You know what was amazing about his passionate dissent? You ought to read it sometime. Do you know what on what basis he decided to argue that Dred Scott had rights and value? He wrote is because Dred Scott possessed the impression or the image of God. And as such, he had an eternal soul that was of great value to God. Hear me, the Imago Dei is the very place where all racism finds its end. What are other implications of the Imago Dei? The fact that we are image bearers of God? It's why we can't stomach injustice. It's no matter where it's found, whether it is the injustice of an abuse of power, racism, slavery, sex trafficking, pornography, exploitation of the poor, or the mistreatment of law enforcement. We are against all injustice no matter where it's found. Why? Because all men bear the image of God. Another implication of the Imago Dei, the image of God, is that church, we are for the gospel going into all the world 
among all people. I think of the Hudsons right now who are watching us from Africa. Two of our own, we partner with, your, your generosity partners with, are in Africa right as we speak, sharing and living out the gospel with the African people. So as a church, we partner with the cooperative program in giving, and we send some of the greatest missionaries on the planet through the International Mission Board all into the world of all people groups. That's why we give so much in the place of missions. And you know what? One day, I know we're a young church, but one day I look forward to sending many of you into a world that bears God's image, that needs to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love the Joshua Project. They, um, they do a lot of work and studies of the 1040 window of the world, the number 10 and 40 dealing with longitude and latitude. It's the part of the world that encompasses North Africa, the Middle East, and large parts of Asia. And it's where we find 5.16 billion people live in the 1040 window of the world. 8,900 plus people groups but hear me, church, you ready? Out of those 8,900 people groups that exist in the 1040 window, 6,200 people groups do not have the gospel. That is 65%, over 3 billion people that don't have the gospel readily available to them. What are the implications of the Imago Day? is that God cares about every single one of them. God loves every one of them. And as a church, we should too. We should work to the day that there is no people on the, place, on the, on the face of this planet that do not have access to the gospel. It's an Imago Day issue. It's an Imago Day implication. And talk about implications. If you ever study the early church and its explosion on the scene in Rome, the teaching of the Imago Dei impacted Rome and the ancient world. It freed the slave. It elevated women and it lifted people out of poverty everywhere it was embraced. In fact, I think of Thomas Jefferson who was influenced greatly by this Imago Dei teaching in the Judeo-Christian roots of our country. So much so that he would write a line like this in our Declaration of Independence. You ready? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You ready? The Imago Dei, the teaching that you and I bear the very image of God brings value and dignity to every human life. I want to close with this. I did some weird research this past week um, online because I just had the question, what's a human worth? And so I thought, why not part out a human? See how much the human body's worth, right? And, and I got in a little bit on the black market, which was a lot cheaper than um, attaining body parts legally. And for the reason which I think the FBI is listening to everything I say right now. Um, but here's what I found out to be true. You know the most expensive part you have? Your heart. In the right setting, it could go for a million dollars. You know your second most expensive part? Your liver. 
Nearly $600,000 for a good liver. Now, coming in third, you got to talk about these kidneys. Over $260,000 a piece. You know what I got to thinking? I really only need one. You go to eBay? I mean, how do you sell your... Anyway, $262,000 a piece. You know what comes in fourth? Your eyeballs. They bring in $1,500 a pop. That sounds painful, doesn't it? Pop. Honorable mentions. Human skin. $10 an inch. That's terribly morbid. Your stomach comes in at $500. And in all these pricing lists from the black market to the free market, there's one part missing. And that's your soul. The most important part of any of us. The part of us that lives on forever somewhere. The part of us that God created. And you know what's amazing? Theories of evolution, the Big Bang. It's not a high price for our soul. But when it comes to the Word of God and the creation of God, bearing the image of God, we begin to understand that the Bible teaches that your soul is priceless to God. It's of greater worth than all the riches this world can afford. That your soul and mine, you can't put a price tag on it. You see, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, that, that God demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I jotted this down. I love this verse. When our soul was the dirtiest, the ugliest, the most rebellious, steeped in sinfulness, plunged into darkness, it was still priceless to God there. So much so that He gave His Son for our soul. So what are you worth? I want you to hear me. Our worth is not found in our dust, but in our designer. And His design and His designation for you and for me as image bearers of God. Why is it important that we know where our worth is found? You ready, church? Because when you know what you're worth, no one, Nothing can make you feel worthless. Not Darwin, not the devil, not depression, not someone's desertion, not doctors of science, nor the deceit of sin can ever make you out to feel worthless again. Hey, your worth is not found in your relationship status. Your social media followers, the number of likes, the dollar amount in your bank account, your job, your looks, your body, your intelligence, your political ties, your popularity, or your position. Your worth today, believer, is in Jesus. And to Jesus, to Him, you're worth dying for. And for Jesus, that's more than just words. You're worth dying for is what he demonstrated on the cross.
else. You see, your value and mine are found in the fact that we were created in the image of God uniquely and saved by Jesus, who Colossians 1.15 states is the image of the invisible God. Hear me, church. Your worth is in Christ and Christ alone. The truth we have framed up today is that God created man uniquely to bear his image and to enjoy a relationship with him forever. But there's only one way to do that. And that's by placing our faith and trust in the very image of the invisible God, Jesus himself. And believer, if you've done that, can I ask you a question? How's it going bearing God's image? How's it going in your life living out the Imago Dei? Reminding people of your Father in heaven, not just in some places, but in all places of your life. How's it going bearing out God's image? You know, I'm like so many of you. I, I really love my kids. I, I really like them. And I look, and especially as I was preparing this message, throughout this week I'd look at my daughter Avery, who's eight, and my daughter Chloe, who's six, and Sadie, who's four. And you know what I got to thinking? I'm raising them up in a world that's going to tell them that their worth is found in many other places but Jesus. Their worth may be found in their body or their looks or in what maybe man could consume one day. They're going to be told their worth is found in so many other places but Jesus. I think my little boy Bennett, who's two and crazy. I love him. You know, the world's going to try to tell him that his worth is found anywhere but Jesus in his strength, his manliness, in his work, in the dollar value of his life. And as me and Aaron got down on our knees with our kids and we prayed over our church services today, we did that last night. Me and my precious wife have a big job to remind our kids every day that their worth is not found in any of those things. But it's found in Jesus. You know what, church? Even as a pastor, and I need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded where my worth is found. Not how many people sit in this room. Not how many people write a nice post. Not how many ugly emails come in. My worth is found in Christ and Christ alone. And so here's my challenge as we get ready to send you out. As bearer images of God, we must bear His image in such a way as to bring people to Jesus. We should have a heart and a burden for all people. It ought to move us to love most what God loves most, and that is people. If statistics bear themselves out in a room like this, 90% of us will never share the gospel with anybody else, never invite somebody to follow Jesus. Hey, you ready, church? You bear the image of God. You are the Imago Dei. Let's break those statistics. And as image bearers of God, let's bring people to Jesus. Can I ask you this? 
what or who has you feeling worthless today? What has happened in your life? What person, what situation has convinced you that you are worthless today? Hey, can I, can I just encourage you, don't buy into that lie. You bear the image of God and you are dearly loved by Him. And your soul, you are priceless to Jesus. You're worth dying for. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.